Hi, I'm Dr. Shannon Deer. And I'm Cheryl Miller. Together, we wrote Business Doing Good, Engaging Women and Elevating Communities. It has six principles for businesses looking to hire women overcomers, women who have overcome challenging paths of incarceration, addiction, poverty, and engagement in the sex trade. You can order today on Amazon and it will release on August 15th. So we're here talking about our book, Business Doing Good, Engaging Women and Elevating Communities. And we are so excited for the book to come out and the six principles that businesses can use to hire women who have overcome challenging paths like incarceration, addiction, poverty, and engagement in the sex trade. And for me, when we first started this book journey, the most elusive principle was restorative justice. But you have a ton of experience helping organizations use restorative justice, being a mediator for on restorative justice on the criminal justice side, but also within organizations. Can you give us like an overview of what restorative justice is? Sure. And and you're right. It seems like the oddest principle of all. It's like, wait a minute, it's like this thumb that's sticking out. Why is this here? But it was so pivotal for our organization when we shifted to a restorative lens. So restorative justice emerged out of the criminal justice field as an alternative way to address crime and, and conflict. And basically, it instead of asking what law was broken, it was saying who was harmed and what needs to be done to repair that harm instead of what law was broken and what's the penalty for breaking that law. And it's heavily researched and it's a very effective model that is used in you know countries all across the world. And so it's it's not a new principle, but it emerged out of the criminal justice field. And so now we're talking about businesses and nonprofits and you're kind of like, well, wait a minute, why are we talking restorative justice? Because we're not dealing with crime and that type of thing. But you can take the principles that make restorative justice successful and take those as practices that restorative practices that can be implemented both within a nonprofit and within the business sector. And the principles that are most common in restorative justice fields are direct voice. Does everybody have a voice in it? Who are the stakeholders? Who are all the stakeholders that were impacted by this particular situation? It is accountability for when there's harm. Is there accountability for the harm that's done? Creating a safe place. And then the last one is that it's value-based. And so just looking at those, listening to those five principles, you could see where those would be very relevant in other contexts. You mentioned the fact that I was a me- that I'm a mediator, and that's kind of where it all started because I was intrigued by this program. I, I was at a conference and saw this program called Victim Offender Mediation Dialogue, and it's offered through the Texas Department of Criminal Justice here in the state through Victim Services. And I thought that that's really interesting doing victim offender mediation. And so I approached them and ended up becoming a volunteer, and I have volunteered for them for over 20 years as a mediator between victims of violent crime and their offenders. And I was the same way that you are kind of being like, wait a minute, how does this fit? And I was that way. I was working with women in this housing program. And then I was also doing these mediation things. Well, like, what are these, do these two things have in common? But after the first few times I did the mediation and saw the transformation that happened by the participants in an hour and a half or three hour time span, I mean, dramatic transformation and healing that had not happened in the previous 10, 15, 20 years happens in that tiny space. I was like, can this be used somewhere else? Can we take these principles in another context? Well, and I know you can't talk about all the details of a mediation case. Can you, maybe even if it's, it's vague, share some of, of those stories? Well, I'll just give one example because you're right. There is a significant need for confidentiality in that process. But I was working with this woman whose child had been murdered and 
it had been 15 years and we were preparing to meet with the offender and, and, you know, we'd gone through the process and she was really motivated to hear and to understand what had happened to her child. That was the purpose. And so we go through the mediation process and I check in on her the next day. It was, it was a shorter mediation. I was kind of surprised by how short it was considering all that she had been trying to figure out. But we were there an hour and a half and I called her the next day and I said, well, I just want to check in on you. How are you doing? And she said, well, I just don't know how to explain it other than to say for the last 15 years, it's, I have felt like there's this boulder sitting on my chest, crushing the life out of me, slowly crushing the life out of me and slowly taking the breath away from me. And since yesterday, I feel like it's gone. And I was like, those are some dramatic words. I felt like I was slowly dying and I couldn't breathe. And now I'm alive again and I can breathe again. And it happened within an hour and a half. And that's when I started really thinking, can these principles be put in another context? Now, they're not going to have the same kind of impact, obviously, but they can increase and speed up the process. And sure enough, that's exactly what we saw happening. And so we started looking at within our organization, which pieces can we put where? And one of the things that we looked at is, you know, when you're talking about stakeholders, who's been harmed, we were looking at the women that we were serving, who's been harmed in our community by them. And one of the one of the first ones we thought of was law enforcement professionals. You know, they're dealing with these crime issues and all this stuff on a regular basis. So the women designed programs where they could give back and make things right for criminal justice professionals. And so we did training. We had some of our women who were actually on probation training police officers on these restorative justice principles. In fact, we even trained at the we trained cadets at the police academy for several years and our women participated in that as a way to give back. And it was very transformative in two ways. For one, the women, like you said earlier, were on the right side of the table now. And the other was with the law enforcement being able to see, oh, wow, some people do change and we are making a difference doing our job, even though they may not want us engaged in their life at that particular time where they're not doing the right thing. But it does provide them an opportunity for a second chance. And that second chance now I can see the productivity. So it was very powerful for both the women and some of the law enforcement people that we were working with. And so we had multiple programs like that where they were able to, you know, really look at how do I repair the harms of what's happened in my situation. And even just in the business setting or the nonprofit setting, there is a lot of team building that happens through the restorative justice process. A lot of it really can be a facilitation of that mediation process as well. So if there is a team that's struggling with team dynamics, restorative justice can be really helpful for that. Even if it's a healthy team that's going through a strategic planning process, Mm -hmm. restorative justice can be a really, or restorative practices specifically, can be a really helpful tool to use in those processes within a business because it gives that direct voice. It gives everyone a voice. It lets all stakeholders participate and have a say in the process. And it's much like if people are familiar with appreciative inquiry or some of those other processes that come from a positive lens of and restorative justice does that as well and really brings everyone into the picture, lets their voice be heard and does it pretty efficiently. Right. It's not a slow process. It doesn't take weeks of planning. It really can very quickly bring to surface 
a lot of the challenges or a lot of the victories that an organization uh, might have in, yeah. with them as well. And when you talk about people kind of like, oh, yeah, that, that's a good idea. That sounds that sounds logical. But for the people that pick it up and do it, they recognize the power of it. One of the things that I do on a as a part of my business is I do training on restorative justice processes. And probably one of the most commonly used restorative justice processes is circles. And so I do a, I do a circle training. In fact, there was a nonprofit recently that I did a circle training with, and they were working with domestic minors, sex trafficking, and they came into the circle training. Their words was, oh my gosh, this is the missing piece. So within three weeks, they had facilitated I think four circles with their residents, with these these young women that they were serving in their housing program, and they saw exactly what we saw in the in the mediations that I do. Within a short period of time of this hour long circle, they had breakthroughs that they had not been able to accomplish in the months prior because the processes work so well. We had another organization that went through circle processes and circle training and went back and implemented the circles to address an employee issue. They were having conflict amongst employees. And she, you know, when she facilitated the circle, she said, I was ready for it. You know, I had my stuff ready in case it got really heated. She said, but it didn't. It worked. She said, I sat there with goosebumps because I couldn't believe what we were able to accomplish in those two hours. There's something really powerful about the processes. So they can be implemented in the workplace. They can be implemented in the nonprofit. They can be implemented as a way of just looking at life through a restorative lens. And so that's why I feel like even though it seems like this, thing over here that doesn't make sense with all the other, it probably is the most overarching logical piece of of the book than anything else. And one of the things that I love or have come to love about restorative justice and restorative practices is that it can really help organizations that want to make a difference in the area of diversity and inclusion because it does provide direct voice. It does provide voice to everyone within the organization. And one of the ways that a circle works, which you've taught me um, about, is that everyone has an opportunity to say something within the circle. And that's not oftentimes within a business how we operate. We have some people like me who talk all the time and then other people who really don't, their voices really are not heard. And so it really does provide and there's some really good literature on using restorative practices within a business for the purpose of diversity and inclusion. So it really does provide this tool for advancing an inclusive environment within an organization that most businesses have not even scratched the surface on. Most businesses have not used or adopted restorative practices. So it's a great opportunity for them to use this tool to advance their inclusiveness within their organization. Right. And I think the primary reason it works is because of the focus of restorative justice. You know, like I said, the traditional way of looking things was was the law or the business, you know, or the or the the details of what needs to happen. And restorative justice doesn't ignore those things, but it, it adds in the humanity. And that's the piece. I think that's what makes it so significant is restorative justice addresses the inherent dignity in everyone and the way the processes work. It recognizes the dignity that everybody brings into that place and it recognizes the humanity of every person engaged. And it's building on the values that each individual person brings into that space. And so it's really only, to me, it's so logical that it should be an overarching philosophy that we approach both in our nonprofits and our daily life and in our businesses. Yes. And for so many women overcomers, restoration is a really important piece. And that being in a place of feeling restored or that restorative place 
is so important. So this principle really does help businesses to provide a positive work environment for women overcomers. You know, and it's it's interesting that you say that because that one of the elements of restorative justice is accountability. And I recognize that a lot of people, a lot of nonprofits that we're talking about, they're working with victims and, you know, victims that have really had some significant things, especially those exiting the sex trade. So there is that element. But then there, but there's also places where we, we've all made mistakes. We've all done things wrong. Even if we've been harmed by other people, we're humans and we're going to make mistakes. And what we saw with working with the women that we were working with, and some of them had been victims as well. But when they were the, when they were the ones that created the harm or made the mistake, we really challenged them to take accountability for it. And that was probably one of the most significant pieces of their restoration, because when they took responsibility and owned it and did the right thing, it changed the way they saw themselves. Now, the stuff that they were ashamed of and wanted to keep in the corner, it's been addressed. I, I acknowledge that I did it. I'm responsible for it. I've made repairs for it. So now shame has lost its hold on me. And that is a very freeing place for people to be, to be able to say, okay, I've done it. I'm walking past. I'm moving on. So it's it's a really significant piece of that transformation process and helping women restore back to where they wanted to be or to move them to a place they've never been before. Exactly. And you talked about this really difficult balance sometimes for organizations that are providing support to survivors, like survivors of sex trafficking or the sex trade, because certainly the women that they are serving are survivors. Right. And that trauma should be acknowledged. And there is no responsibility for a woman to take for being a survivor, for being a victim of sex trafficking or engagement in the sex trade. The main thing is looking at, have I hurt somebody? And when I hurt somebody, what am I going to do about it? The other day, I was traveling and I checked into a hotel and and I left and I came back and the door was open in my room and there was like some maintenance stuff in there. And I was freaking out. I was like, did somebody call my room? And I went to the front desk and said, hey, somebody was in my room. And the young woman that was working the front desk said, oh my gosh, when you asked for extended checkout, I checked you out accidentally. And so they went in there to work. She said, it's completely my mistake. I was like, gosh, I wish I had known because the door was open all my stuff. She said, oh, I'm so, I am so sorry. It was completely my mistake. And I was like, that's such a breath of fresh air. That's for me as a customer. I was like, I couldn't stay mad at her. She acknowledged that she made a mistake. I guess I could have. But the reality was I would want that woman working for me because I would know if she made a mistake, she's going to do whatever it takes to make things right. So it's kind of building on that principle. We all have done something. So let's let's create an environment where it's not scary for people to take responsibility. They can move forward. We're going to create great workplaces. We're going to create great families. You know, it's just a good principle in general. And it works for the harm reduction, but it also works even if harm hasn't been done, right? right? On the team building side, on the strategic planning side, um, and can be a great resource for companies looking to hire women overcomers. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in to Business Doing Good, engaging women and elevating communities with Dr. Shannon Deere and Cheryl Miller. If you'd like to pre-order the book that comes out on August 15th or get in touch with Shannon and Cheryl about training, speaking, or consulting services, search businessdoinggood.org. You can also find it in the description. Thank you.